This episode of Brand Therapy is sponsored by Himalaya Botanic Toothpaste. I tried it myself and I am a fan. Sometimes using natural toothpaste can feel like a trade-off, feeling flat or bland or leaving your mouth with an unclean feeling. Let me tell you something about Himalaya Botanic, our sponsor for today's episode. I tried it. I love it. It's a toothpaste that's free from fluoride, SLS, and artificial colors and flavors, but unlike other similar toothpastes, they don't compromise on flavor or performance. Himalaya toothpaste is always bursting with foam and flavor. I tried it, I love it, and if you're interested in trying it for yourself too, get 20% off Himalaya Botanic Toothpaste on Amazon with discount code THERAPY20. Check out the show notes for more details on this episode's sponsorship with Himalaya Botanic. Now, on to the show. I am so freaking excited to have Adelaide on our podcast. Adelaide is truly one of the most committed people I've ever known in my entire life. We're fortunate to have her as a former client. So we helped develop Adelaide's brand. How long have we worked together, Adelaide? I was just thinking it myself. I think maybe two years. Because I came on... Yeah, first of all, you had your online Instagram program. You were beta testing. Yes. 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 Super Rich Small Biz. Yeah, that was the one. Yes. Oh my God, way back playback. So it's been a few years. A lifetime ago. So anyway, I wanted to have Adelaide on this podcast because Adelaide is so great at conserving energy and avoiding decision fatigue. Adelaide is probably one of the first people I've ever met who told me about a nighttime routine before it became a thing online. And so I was thinking it would be useful in these kind of upside down times where a lot of people are working from home for Adelaide to sort of speak to the importance of developing a routine, how to develop a routine, tips for developing a routine, all that good stuff. Sounds great. Yeah, I'm ready. Adelaide, welcome. Thank you. We're so happy you're here. Do you want to know something crazy? And this might sound a bit creepy, but I think I think about you often and I'm not trying to hit on you. That would be unprofessional. But when I am running, specifically running, which has been my fitness like routine of the summer, I'm doing like things in between, but running five miles a day, at least four to five times a week. It's a lot of running. But I ha- in order to finish my run, I have to play mind games. And then I think about you because you are, I'm like, what would Adelaide think about this game? For example, there's one stretch of my run where I can see this really nice, like, not a hotel, it's like a condo unit, and it's 10 minutes running. It's exactly, it's a mile, a little less, and it's uphill most of it, and it's just dreadful. It's at the, like, (laughs) three-mile mark, three- to four-mile mark of the five miles, and it's uphill, and I hate it. But that's where I play my games, and I think about you almost every time I'm on that run, which is a lot of times this summer. Are you creeped out by that, first of all? No, I love it. I have actually quite a few people saying like, oh, like I was thinking of you when running or cycling or swimming or something because they try out these different mindset strategies. Yeah. So let's actually first talk out a talk about mental fitness, because as a mindset coach for triathletes, you focus on the brain component of performance. So maybe walk us through what mental fitness means to you for maybe listeners who haven't explored that or heard of that term before. Definitely. So mental fitness is having the mental health, well, mental 
capacity to live the life you love. And by that is looking at different mindset strategies with athletes, pro and amateur, so in and outside of sport, to find out where they're stuck in life and how they want to change and the transformation they want to achieve. Because especially now with the current pandemic situation, it's really easy to get stuck in different mindsets of hopelessness, stress, anxiety, despair and depression, all these kind of different emotions, which are really unhelpful because we can't change outside circumstances. We don't have any control over them. And for me, mental fitness is having the ability to focus on the right things at the right time. So the things you can influence. So kind of influencing the influential and being able to accept there are some things you can't change and to know the things you can change so you can live your life and thrive living it. Give an example of something that you can't change. Maybe in terms, it doesn't even need to be in the world of sports. It could be just in like day-to-day life. Definitely. So the example I always use is a traffic jam because everyone has experienced getting stuck in traffic, especially, or we especially do stress and feel that emotion when we're kind of late for something, whether it's the school run or a flight or a meeting and you get stuck in this traffic jam and the traffic is moving so slowly, maybe it's back to back. And the slower you're going and the more you see time ticking by, the more frustrated, stressed you get. And you're saying, oh, the traffic is making me feel this way. But actually that's not true at all. The traffic can't make you feel a certain way. It's not a puppeteer and having all these strings attached and forcing you to feel these emotions. You're doing them. And we can't change the traffic and getting more frustrated, more stressed isn't going to make the traffic move any faster. So it's not helping you. What would be helpful is to change your state. So state is how you're feeling at a given time. So when we're in a traffic jam, it's thinking, okay, you know what? This is, I'm going to have to accept this. I can't change the traffic. It's not going to move any quicker. What can I do instead that is more enjoyable and which is helping me? So maybe it's being on a podcast. Maybe it's just breathing deeply. Maybe it's chatting to a friend on speaker, um, listening to music, all of these other kind of things which are going to help you to change state so you can feel better, more enjoyment as you are stuck in a kind of shitty circumstance. One thing I was thinking of is, do you think that stress in general is a bad thing? Like, is there ever a circumstance where stress or nerves is a good thing? Yeah, it's a great question because I've been talking a lot about this. So on social media, on the web, you always see people say negative and positive. Like this is negative self-talk, this is positive self-talk. But the world is never that black and white. So I'm always saying to my clients and to my community, you want to look at what is helping you and what is not helping you. And if stress and if nerves are helping you, then that's fine. If you think it's helping you in the best way possible, then that's great. If you're like, it's kind of helping you, but maybe it'd be more helpful for me to feel a different kind of emotion. And it's thinking, how can you change into that state? And if you're like, you know what, feeling stressed, feeling nervous is really, really unhelpful for me right now, then you definitely need to change state. And again, it's just figuring out what is the best and quickest way for you to go from doing those emotions to doing something else instead. I have various different tools I use with my clients, but one of the best ways for people is to use music. It's one of the quickest ways. It's changing the way our the brain waves and also motion. They always say emotion follows motion and it's really true. So maybe it's like dancing, doing car karaoke, something like that. 
Oh, how interesting. I know Phil always listens to music when he's working and he's always in a good mood. Right, Phil? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm always in a good mood, but music <laughs> is a big part. I actually really hate pausing my music to have to do a phone call because I music helps me focus. It helps. I would say just in general, maybe in comparison to like the average person, I'm fairly in tune with my emotion. Like I'm comfortable in my body, like in myself, like being myself mm -hmm. on a call or on a podcast. Like I have no problem kind of being in touch with that. I'm very like self-aware. Music is incredibly important for me to focus. If it's too quiet, it like creeps me out. But one of the things I'm curious about is like, do you find Adelaide that people often don't prioritize or make time for their mental state? Even describing like mental stuff is kind of ambiguous. It's more ambiguous than physical. We think about like being in shape and that's physical. And I've been running all summer, so I'm in better shape now than I was before this summer. But it's harder to measure like mental state. And I think that because it's harder to measure, people often don't think about it or prioritize it. And you have such an amazing way of like having systems and tools to identify that and to quantify it, I guess. Can you speak to that? I know it's not a question, but do you, I guess, do you encounter no, definitely. that? Definitely. Yeah, it's a great statement. So definitely with physical health, it's so different because you can either see yourself getting fitter, you can see your times improving, or maybe you're losing weight. And that's a very visual goal to attain. With mental health, as you said, it is much more ambiguous. So using the mindset strategies, for me, I love journaling. And I love, so the athletes I get is looking at gratitude practice, looking at wins, looking at how can I be a champion today? How can I be a champion tomorrow? And I also have them rate out of 10. And this is in my new download. Like how well did you do for nutrition today or recovery today or training today? And then these kind of things put together, you can start to look back and track how well you've been doing, what's been changing, what's the transformation. And you can also start to pick out patterns. So for example, one of the things maybe like, actually when I don't recover the next day, my body is stiffer or I feel a bit more down or I have black energy. Or if I skip breakfast, then that impacts how I feel throughout the day or up until lunchtime. So there are different things you can start to employ to track your mental fitness. And it's always asking the right question. So if you want to be happier, it's not looking at how sad was I today on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being I was just super sad. Or if you're recovering from an injury, I see a lot of athletes rating their pain out of 10 on more than several times a day. So it's like on a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain am I in? 10 being I'm in the most pain, 1 being I'm in the least pain. And the problem with all of these kind of questions is the words we use are the structure and architecture of our thoughts, feelings, experience, actions, and physical manifestations. So when we rate our pain or unhappiness or that sadness or depression or anxiety or stress, or when we use these words as well, we're triggering and activating the neuropathways for those feelings and actions associated with them. So it's really important when you are wanting to track your mental fitness and your mental health is to track it using the right language. Because if you want to be in recovery and you're tracking your pain, it's you're triggering and strengthening those pathways. So you're actually making the pain your pathways better and faster at their job, which is the total opposite of the result you want. 
So you need to make sure you're asking yourself, like, how much comfort am I in today? How much energy do I have today? Like, how great was my nutrition? How well was I being calm and relaxed today? So you also need to, when tracking, just make sure you're tracking the right things. Because if we track the wrong things, then again, we can run into trouble and it can feel like we're failing all the time. And that's heading down the negative spiral, which we really don't want you to do. That's the mindset strategies with the, well, with pro and amateur athletes now, I'm using the brain endurance training. So that's cognitive tasks, which is when you're reacting to different stimuli on an app on your iPhone or iPad. And then I'm tracking six data points, like reaction times, speed. So how quickly you're reacting to stimuli, how accurately are you reacting to stimuli, like how varied are your reactions and those kind of things. And that means that I can track over time how well that athlete is doing. And so that's very scientifically data-driven, just like how you track the weights you're lifting or how fast your splits are. So with the brain endurance training, you can make it very scientific. You have baseline tests, um, which are kind of like 5 KPRs or 10 KPRs, whatever you're doing. The baseline is kind of a test I can see for your brain to see how well you've improved over a four-week cycle, just like when you're training for a marathon or when your PT is setting you a strength training session, or if you're weighing in every week, you can see how your data is progressing. And I can do that with the brain endurance training. That's for resilience. So it's different to looking at mental health, which is how you're feeling. Whereas this is more looking at how resistant are you are to fatiguing. So how capable are you at handling physical and mental loads? So what are some other things people can do to prevent mental fatigue. And before you answer that question, I will say that I think Phil and I have even experienced like a change in sort of how we go about our days in the past like six months. I Phil was going to say this. Re- this was next on my you on can the tip go. of my you, tongue. No, you're, you no, go. no, no. You just that just no, you keep going. It's I'm, I'm excited about this because of the way that we've yeah. organized our week and our days based around energy. Yeah. So Phil and I have made a real effort to move our bodies more. And I have personally, I'd say I've probably experienced anxiety for as long as I can remember. And it it felt, it got to the point where it just feels like I'm an anxious person. Like, you know, those like affirmations you mentioned where it's like you just associate yourself with anxiety and therefore there's nothing you can do about it. But Phil and I, I think over the past six months, maybe even a little longer, have really been prioritizing to kind of like compartmentalize our days. Like Phil and I went from not exercising like really that much at all. And for me, like getting an abysmal amount of steps to regularly exercising at generally the same time every day, no matter what. And putting like, I've been trying to put away my computer at a certain time of day, no matter what, We've really tried to stop replying to clients on weekends so that we have those segments. So anyway, I found that that's really helped me with my mental fatigue. But I want to know sort of your thoughts on mental fatigue and what people can do to prevent it when we're kind of conditioned to be connected 24-7. Yeah, that's a great question. It's so amazing that you guys have done that as well. I've actually been doing something similar during COVID too and with my clients. So the first thing is fatigue, whether it's from a really hard day at work or whether it's from training, working out, it's all generated in the same area of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. So they used to think in sport that fatigue, that you kind of stop performing and you slow down from heart, muscle and lung 
signals. But actually, they know that they're now secondary to the brain. So when we get fatigued, our perception of effort of how hard something is increases. And that's whether it's brain fatigue from work or brain fatigue from physical training. And so it's really important that if you want to become more resistant to mental fatigue, so if you want to increase your capacity to have a greater physical and mental workload, then brain endurance training is the route to go down. If you're wanting to kind of just put in daily strategies to boost your energy and to become more of a genius and adept at changing states or changing how you feel from unhelpful things to helpful, then doing what you guys are doing is really perfect. So I always recommend, especially during these times when our routines are being turned upside down and different people in different countries are much more isolated as well, is having a morning and an evening routine. And as you said, Jack, you've been carving out time for yourselves. And the morning and evening routine also ensures you're carving out time for yourself and also for brain recovery. Because like when you're training your body to get stronger and fit and to absorb that training, you have to have physical recovery, whether it's just walking or yoga or just a kind of a day off of movement, then your brain also needs that and during the day as well. So the morning routine allows you, the one that I have, um, and I do have a checklist for this because I'm such a geek and I like checklists. So I have one, I have one for clients and it's also my download and it's looking at, okay, in the morning, you need to do a gratitude practice and that's making sure that your brain is wired for positivity first thing in the morning. So nothing can kind of pollute your experience. Because if you wake up and you're checking email and social media, you're letting other things influence how you feel first thing in the morning and giving them power, which you don't really want to do. You want to be able to have, even if it's five minutes, if that's all you have, in those five minutes, you can really set yourself up for the best day ever. And by best day ever, I don't mean everything's going to be amazing and sunshine and roses, but you're going to have the intentions you're going to have your brain's ability to better navigate what life is going to throw at you during the day. And because what, how we perceive our reality and how we perceive our day kind of starts first thing in the morning and the night before, because it's what you're telling your unconscious mind to look out for. So if you're an anxious person, then your brain is going to highlight to you everything. And you're saying to yourself, I'm an anxious person. Your brain will highlight everything to you that's going to confirm that actually that is in fact correct, even though it might not be correct. For me, it was really highlighted when I was with a friend in London and we were walking down a high street and I was single looking for all the cute guys. And she was in her 40s, wanted a family. And so when we were walking down a high street, her brain highlighted to her all of the really yummy mummies. So the mummies with their babies drinking lattes, it was summer outside in the high street. For me, I mean... I was not there and that, that was not my thing. And so they were invisible to me because I was telling my brain to look out for all the hot guys. And so when she, was, she, she said to me, she's like, oh my gosh, Adelaide, she's like, there are so many yummy mummies here. Like, I don't even have a boyfriend and I, like, my biological clock is ticking, blah, blah. And I was like, what are you talking about? There's, there aren't there are like hardly any yummy mummies here. And it was almost like a veil being lifted and they were absolutely everywhere. But because my brain wasn't looking for them, I just didn't see them. And it's like when, and you kind of experience it when you're looking for your keys or something, you miss out big objects because you're just telling your brain to look out the keys. So you might not notice that someone's like changed the color of your chair or something because you just told your brain to look out for the keys. So other things are not relevant to it. So it won't show them to you. 
And so in the morning with the evening and in the evening routines, you're intentionally setting your conscious and unconscious mind to look out for the things that you want to look out for in life that is going to give you the best day, whether it's things that are calm, like really great things. And it's the small things like having a great cup of coffee or having a great cup of tea if you're British. Um, But it's like all the small (laughs) things that show you that actually today's going really well. Maybe it's like small client wins or small marketing wins, whatever it may be. So that's one of the first things to do in the morning. Meditation is a great one. Again, you're kind of calming the system down, turning on the parasympathetic nervous system, so rest and digest system. And that's really important because often when we're going through our day, we can feel very hectic. We're in fight and flight mode. So taking just a minute just to turn that off is really important as well. Um, They're probably the two most powerful ones. You have journaling, which is great if you just want to brain dump work through some stuff, then that's really important too. And having a manifestation, especially if you're setting up your own business, it's great to have a manifestation which confirms the person you want to become or the person you want to be. So whether it's the go-to tracker mindset coach or, and you could have like, I am the go-to tracker mindset coach and clients flow to me easily and in abundance, something like that. And having that manifestation that you can repeat to yourself throughout the day is also going to refocus and reset your mind onto the things that you want to influence in order to have that and be that. Right. Because it's giving you like more confidence in your identity. Yeah. And you're strengthening those neuro pathways as well. So your brain will start to look out for all of the opportunities associated with that manifestation or with that mantra. Sorry. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's also, I love how what you just said. Also, what I love, there's lots of things, but I love that all of your opinions and perspectives are rooted in science and psychology. I don't really connect a lot with like spirituality. I appreciate it, but I don't connect with it. But I really connect with your perspectives on this because they're well-researched. There's usually science behind them. I just love that. You know what else is cool? To watch you operate in your genius and specificity of working with athletes, specifically triathletes, I can remember where I was standing when the three of us were having a conversation about Adelaide's brand and going all in on triathletes. Like I remember that moment. Yeah, I remember exactly. I was in WeWork and I was in Columbia and I was standing, staring out the window and we were talking about the possibilities. One of them being... Lauren and I kind of being like Adelaide, like this is something you're really passionate about. Maybe you should go all in. And now look at you. And now you're talking about kind of these manifestations, your own, you know, and and it's really become that. It's not to say there isn't hard work and it's not to say that there isn't a ways to go for all of us in what we're trying to achieve. But how cool to actually take a moment and go, look at what you've built and how you speak so eloquently and with authority on this, it's so clear you're super passionate about it. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. It's just funny. It's just cool to actually think about that moment. It wasn't that long ago, yeah. Adelaide. It wasn't that long no, ago. No, it wasn't, was it? It was maybe, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. You've had so many successes. You've had speaking engagements. You've worked with some of the, literally the top athletes. And that's like vulnerability. I mean, athletes that perform well are opening up and being vulnerable to you with here's what my challenge is or my challenges are and here, you know, how do I get better? That's like a vulnerable moment. 
yeah, I always feel such a privilege when athletes open up to me because there's, because I have a coach myself and there's very few people. Actually, I think some stuff I've just shared with her and I wouldn't share with anyone else. So when an athlete opens up to me, it's such a privilege to be able to help them and for them to feel that this is a safe space and that I can help them as well. Is it challenging for athletes to kind of come to terms or admit to any mental lapses? Because I think about when I think about athletes, I think of people who are very, very driven by performance and who know all the stats of their kind of like physical accomplishments. And they're very much about like doing. Whereas with like, as Phil mentioned, the mental stuff is a bit more ambiguous and a bit more challenging to sort of come to terms with sometimes. Do you find like it's hard for athletes to get in touch with themselves in that way? Well, yes, I think so. Especially, I think it's harder for men as well. I think from what I've been seeing, some people believe in it, some people don't. The brain endurance training is still very new science. And a lot of them don't feel that it's necessary. Or a lot of them don't feel that they maybe need it because of the training. Like they feel the physical training is also the mental training. And that's just not true. It's true to an extent, but it's not. You're not deliberately training your ability to withstand mental fatigue. And I think that's hard for some to convey. I think the biggest problem athletes face is the pro athletes is they've been told they're great from a very young age because often they've been doing this since they were very tiny. And when you're suddenly shown the brain endurance training, you're doing that. It's really it really fucks up your brain, basically. It's horrible. And you get the results back saying that actually you did very badly. Like that's not something they're faced with. Like when you're told, actually, your reaction time for this drill was really bad. That's not something they are ever really told. And that can be challenging because they always nail their physical training. But when they're not nailing their brain training, that can be difficult for them. I have had, have had athletes quit because they weren't mentally tough enough. And that's in their own words. But these are the same athletes telling me that they will do anything to win. So often I'm finding athletes will say that they're really driven and they'll say they'll do anything. But actually when it comes down to crunch time, they won't necessarily do the mindset strategies or the brain endurance training. Right, like they're driven to, to and will do anything as long as they're already good at it. That's yeah, basically... as long as it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes the training isn't fun, but on the whole, it's really fun. With the brain training, it's horrible. Like it's not fun at all. You're training resilience. It's not meant to be fun. It's not going to be fun. It's really hard. It's really challenging. It's really boring especially depending what I set them. But at the same time, research has shown if you do six weeks of brain endurance training with SOMA NPT, which is the scientifically backed app-based neuroperformance technology that I use, it can increase performance by 26%. And that's a crazy amount in six weeks. Like that's, you can't get that in physical training at the elite level. And that was with pro footballers. And it's not just an isolated research paper. This is over hundreds of papers showing the brain endurance training increases performance because it's increasing your ability to withstand that fatigue. With the mindset strategies, some people I find come to me wanting the solution to be fixed, but they're not necessarily realizing how much work they actually have to put in themselves. But if you put in the work, then you get the results. I've had athletes knock up to 40 minutes off their race times just by changing self-talk and some limiting beliefs. Um, I've had athletes come to me and say they're an, a pro athlete. I'm a really slow swimmer. What's your time? He's bang in the middle of Kona race times, which is the Ironman World Championship. And it's like, well, I was like, did you realize you're 52 minutes in 4K? It's like, like a 
average or just above average? He was like, oh, no. I was like, do you still think you're a slave swimmer? He's like, oh. He's like, well, maybe I'm not. And you're starting to change that belief. And then you do some more work around it. And the next day he's first out of the water for the first time in his career in a race. So if you put in the work, and sometimes the work may be just a session or two with me, then that's enough. Then you can create really big change. If you expect just to do the session and then you're done, you're not going to get as big a transformation or change as you might expect or want. But if you put in the work with like with anything, then you can get some really crazy changes and transformation, both in and outside of sport. I just caught up with one client I coached, I think two years ago now, and she's a scientist, but really into CrossFit and the Mont Blanc Ultra Marathon. Oh my gosh. And when I was with her, she was like facing challenges with the relationship and things like that and facing challenges with her job. She's now moved on from that relationship, absolutely thriving in her job. Luckily, it's been fine during COVID and just took the first, like a really big step in completing the UTMB, the Ultra Trail, Mont Blanc, something like that. So I was like, that's really amazing because we worked together for three or four months and she's still using those tools to in her life to thrive and to achieve the goals that she wants and to do the things she wants. So then it's really amazing that I, I love that when you catch up with the catch up with the client and they're still doing super well. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of how to sort of summarize all the different amazing nuggets that you've given us today. So it seems like the first thing that someone should do is create an affirmation for themselves that helps them really like shake up any mindset like cobwebs and feel better and more confident about who they are. The second thing should maybe be to have your phone in another room when you wake up and create a routine for yourself. Yeah. I remember you gave me that advice and it, it changed everything. And now I actually removed Slack and email from my phone. And I think Phil will admit this, that I am in a better mood because I'm not starting my day with people asking me for things or like saying something's late or whatever. I actually think you're also more productive. Yeah. I think you accomplish more by having the that kind of organization and structure, which feels counterintuitive if you're less accessible or less, I guess, online. Yeah. I, same for both of us. Do you check your email first thing when you wake up? I do check my email. So what Adelaide said on this has me thinking I should probably, that should probably not be the first thing I check in the morning. But um, it's so hard when it's like, yeah, it's hard. I had to delete it outright because I couldn't. I felt like an addict, honestly, like I'd be thinking about it. No, it's great. It's great. And even just these reminders, it doesn't have to be like night or day change overnight. But little reminders, even I think that people will pick up from this conversation are really healthy. Awareness of other possibilities beyond just routine and kind of the way that you think automatically. Definitely. And there's no one size fits all. That's what I really stress. It's more find out what helpful habits would really help you in the morning and in the evening to have a really great day. Because some people are like swear by like 40 minutes meditation and that's awesome for them. That wouldn't work for me. So it's also finding what works for you. And that might shift during the year because I used to love waking up first in the morning and training. Um, Norway is now getting quite dark and really cold and wet. <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh, I don't want to be like, getting out of bed at six in the morning to go train. Like this is absolutely horrendous. And I'm fortunate in that I can change my day according to how I want it to be. I'm aware I have that luxury, but it means that I could get up at 5.36 and then just start work like half an hour, 40 minutes later. And then I can finish my day earlier to train in, in the light and in more warmth. <laughs> I love that idea. 
I've never heard of like seasonal habits before, but it makes so much sense. Yeah, because such a good idea. Yeah, and in the evening you might go to bed like once as we're I'm not sure about you, Phil, but in the northern hemisphere, we're now coming into winter. So we'll probably want to go to bed a bit earlier and we'll probably want to wake up a bit later. And again, if that fits in with your day, then that's fine because you're just kind of following the day and night cycles. And then in the summer you tend to wake up a bit earlier and maybe go to bed a bit later. And again, that's fine too. Is what works for you. It's super cool. My routine's usually based on the weather of where I am and like it's just too hot here to run in the day. So it either has to be first thing in the morning, but it gets hotter. So it feels like you're in an oven that's heating up. I'd rather yeah. do it at night <laughs> where the my body heats up, but then the weather around you, the environment cools down slightly. So running at 6.30 exactly works perfectly yeah. and waking up first thing with energy to start work. This episode of Brand Therapy has been a lot more like therapy, and I have loved that. Like, it's been, like, kind of fun to talk about psychology and mindset beyond just branding. But then, of course, this also combines branding because you're one of our proudest case studies. People should check out your website, adelaidegoodeve.com, and connect with you on Instagram. Pinterest, you are rocking. People should connect with you on Pinterest. Where else? Also, your freebies are awesome. Where can people go to get more? Yeah, so I can send you the links that helps. But if you just go to my website, then you'll find them scattered across my homepage and blog. And the current PDF I have, which everyone is super loving, is a 35-day mindset bootcamp. So it's literally taking you through the processes that we've been talking about over 35 days. Fantastic. Like like small step-by-step. So you're building on the block. I need to do that. I love that. I'm going to do it. It's so smart. And it's just so useful for everyone. Adelaide, thank you for coming on to Brand Therapy and hanging out with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been super fun to catch up with you guys. We appreciate you. Thank you, thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adelaide. Thanks. 